Praise the Lord. You are destined to win. God spoke to me in August of 1980 and said to proclaim the word of faith, be a showcase of ministries, and train people to fulfill the word of God. The message that you're about to hear was recorded in a live meeting where the Lord used me to teach the uncompromising word of faith. So open your heart to receive the ministry of the Word of God today, and you will be changed, empowered, and motivated to fulfill the Word of God in your life. Well, praise the Lord. Today, I want to talk about something that's very important and very critical to this time right now that we're living in. As I record this, this is the year 2010. I still have, and we're halfway through the year, this is uh, coming up on the end of June, uh, nearly nearly the beginning of July as I record this, and I'm still having a hard time getting used to the idea that we're living in the year 2010. From my perspective, and I go back a ways, I guess, but from my perspective, 2010 seems like you're living in the future, you know, like you're in a science fiction show or something. But uh, the thing is, whether you look at where we came from, and I'm talking about in my own generation, uh, or whether you're talking about looking at it from a scriptural, biblical point of view, in which there has been thousands of years, uh, then, you know, since the beginning of time, and since uh, nearly 2,000 years, a little over 2,000 years, since Jesus was on the earth physically, before he went to be with the Father, Praise the Lord and prepare a place for us. Praise God. I'm glad he, he did that. But at any rate, no matter how you look at it, time is getting closer to the end of the age. We are drawing near to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may say, oh, Dr. Bill, there have been people that have said for years and years and years, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Even the Apostle Paul said, Jesus is coming soon. Well, praise the Lord. From any perspective, he's coming soon. Yeah, Paul in his day believed he was coming at any moment. But as I've heard many people say, you ought to live like he's coming today and plan and prepare like he's not coming for hundreds of years. Amen. So, yeah, we need to use wisdom. We need to live a life that is meaningful to the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, and to the Father God, no matter what time it is in regard to the grand scheme of things. Amen. Do you agree with that? But the bottom line is, I think that where we are right now, there are Christians who know, they are aware in their spirit that we are coming up on the close of the end of this age, that Jesus is coming soon. Now, you know, if you're listening to this and it's 30 years down the road from when I recorded it in June of 2010, you're saying, yeah, see, you were wrong. Well, praise God. <laughs> As I said, live today like Jesus is coming today. Plan like it's going to be hundreds of years. Amen? That's just wisdom. But I believe, because I, because I believe that it's nearing the end of the age, I believe we are coming up on a critical, critical juncture. 
And there have been a lot of people that have been prophesying this. There's a lot of people that have been speaking forth that something's happening in the spiritual realm. One that comes to mind right off the bat is Randy Greer. Brother Randy Greer, praise God, I got to have uh, lunch with him one day, and, and he and his family, uh, when he was down in Aberdeen, North Carolina, uh, at Jubilee Word of Faith, praise God, uh, Pastor Larry Westforth's church. And it was Brother Harold uh, Cagle and I got to go down there and have lunch with them, and it was a blessing. During that meeting, which was aired live on Word of Faith Radio around the world, during that meeting, Brother Greer talked about the fact that we're coming up on a decision point. The year 2011 is a decision point for people in the body of Christ. God is speaking to the church. And this is what I want to talk about today. What is God speaking to the church today? What is he saying to us today? Now, let me just give you a scripture from Revelation. You say, boy, you are talking about the end days. No, not specifically. We're not We're not going to be teaching on the rapture of the church. We're not going to be teaching on the second coming per se. But I do want to talk about the fact that God has an interest in speaking to the church. So let's look at Revelation 2.7. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I'm not even talking so much about what he said to the churches there in the book of Revelation. You know, we know that those were actual churches when John wrote, penned, I should say, is a little more accurate, Revelation, because it was a revelation of Jesus Christ that he wrote and spoke through John. John just wrote it down. So a lot of people talk about John the Revelator. John was, you know, given this revelation. Yeah, he was given the revelation, but it was a revelation of the will of God, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's, let's not center up on John. Let's center up on the Lord speaking to his church. Those were literal churches during that time. But many Bible scholars believe that it's also indicative of church ages. In other words, the church at Laodicea representing a, a specific church age. Okay, We're not going to get into all of that. That's, that's an interesting and fascinating study. But what I want to do is just look at, concentrate, on the part of this verse that says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. What does that say? Jesus often used that phrase when he was teaching. He that has an ear, let him hear. Well, they all had ears on the side of their head. You've heard that phrase before. They all had ears on the side of their head. What are you talking about, Jesus? It's talking about attention. It's talking about giving attention to something. And this is the critical thing I want to get across to you today in this, in this study, in this teaching. What is God speaking to the church today? Well, in order to know what God is speaking to the church today, you've got to be paying attention. Amen. You've got to be listening. 
He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. You've got to hear what God is saying to the churches. And that means you've got to put your hand to your ear and listen in the spiritual sense. <laughs> if you want to do it in the natural, physical sense, go ahead and do it. Whatever it takes for you to really listen to what God is saying to the church right now at this critical juncture. Because I believe we are at a critical juncture. So, let's look at this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, this is the Spirit of God. So we could say it this way. What God is saying unto the churches. What is God saying to the church right now at this critical juncture? The first thing you got to know is that God does speak to his church. God's just not you know, set us adrift. Have you ever been down at a lake and had a rowboat and it get away from you? You didn't quite get it tied up in time. And so it starts drifting off. And we say that that rowboat has been set adrift. Now, what is the case of a boat that's been set adrift? It just goes wherever the wind blows it, wherever the current takes it. It's not in control. It's not in control by you. It's not even in control of itself. It just goes wherever the current and wherever the wind takes it. Well, let me tell you something, folks. The current and the wind of the world is set in motion by the little G-O-D, God of this world. Not God, the Father God. God, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to say his name, I am that I am. No, the little G-O-D, false God, Satan, has set in motion the currents and the winds of this world. Did you know there are winds of doctrine? That's a biblical term, winds of doctrine. And we're not to be as little children tossed to and fro by winds of doctrine. Amen? So that boat is set adrift, and it's just subject to those winds. Sadly, that is a precise metaphor of what has happened to a lot of Christians and to a lot of churches. They've been set adrift. Now, it's not God's fault. It's the believers in those churches' fault. And it's the pastors of those churches' fault. Now, pastors, I want to say something really direct to you right now. First of all, I have tremendous respect for pastors. I'm a teacher in the body of Christ. There's, there's a five-fold ministry. Apostle, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and um, prophet. Okay? Five-fold ministry. Now, what's a teacher got to say to a pastor? <laughs> the pastor's the head of a local church. So what am I, a teacher, going to tell you? What I'm going to tell you is what a teacher would say, which is the word of God. Okay? 
God has placed you as the father-like one, as the head and the direction giver for your local church, for your local body of believers. That is not to be taken lightly. That's not something that you can just shrug off. You have to be attentive to what God is saying to his church today to know what God is saying to your local body of believers that God has given you the charge over. You say, well, what's the teacher got to tell me? Well, all I'm telling you is pay attention. <laughs> Listen to the voice of the Spirit of God. This is a critical, critical time. Don't be set adrift. Don't get so involved in the things of the world. Don't get so involved, and it may be things that are coming before your listening time, like TV, just TV shows. Now, this is going to sound a little funny and maybe even a little extreme, but you're just studying the Word of God for the sake of studying the Word of God can't even get in the time, in, in the way of your listening time. Now I am not telling you not to study the Word. Hey, <laughs> this is Dr. Bill talking to you. This is a teacher in the body of Christ. Believe me, it's important to study the Word. Okay? I'm using this as an example. If all you did was be heads down and simply study the Word and listen to tapes all the time, all the time, all the time, and never took the time to put that hand to the side of your head, to your ear, and listen to God, you're going to miss it. What does the scripture say? It says that in the last days there will be those who are ever learning, but they're not coming to the knowledge of the truth. Part of what you need is definitely study of the word. Absolutely. Listening to teaching tapes or MP3s as it is today. Whatever. Listening to Word of Faith Radio. Amen. But that doesn't take precedent over your listening to God on a personal basis. That doesn't take time away that you need to set aside to listen to the voice of God for you and for your local church. Otherwise, you will just be set adrift. I keep coming back to that example of that boat drifting on the water. I, I've got, personally, I have a canoe. It's an aluminum canoe. It's a big, long aluminum canoe that I bought from Sears. <laughs> you may know exactly the one I'm talking about if you are familiar with the canoes that they sell. I've got one of those canoes, and I tell you what, you flip it upside down, you drain all the water out of it, you get it just where it's nice and high and dry, you set that thing on the water, it's like it just, it's the most amazing thing, it's like it just sits on the surface. It doesn't have a lot of uh, displacement of water, and so the slightest wind will just take it off. I mean, it just, it's gone. So... It doesn't take much to get you off course. 
you've got to stay on track when you're in that canoe and you've got that paddle. And if you're in there by yourself, you got to paddle. You paddle on one side, you paddle on the other. Or if you, yeah, I'm going to get technical here. If you use a J-stroke, have you ever been in a canoe and used a J-stroke? You can tell I had rowing and canoeing and Boy Scouts. But at any rate, <laughs> you put that paddle down in the water. You take a nice draw back. And then right as you pull that paddle out of the water, you turn your wrist and you kick it to one side. It's called a J-stroke. And as you kick it out, it brings your bow back around. Because if you just paddled on the right side, you have a tendency to go left. But when you kick it with that J-stroke, it'll bring your bow back straight and you'll stay straight. And you can literally paddle on one side of the canoe and stay straight and keep a good straight course. But what does it take? Attention, because you got to use that J-stroke just right. Awareness, because you got to be watching the bow of your canoe, and you got to be looking downstream, so to speak, at what's coming, what you want to avoid, rocks and so forth. And you can vary that J-stroke and actually control that canoe. You say, boy, Dr. Bill, you're, you're milking this <laughs> this example. Well, hey. Go with the flow, amen? <laughs> Here's the thing. Your dedication to pay attention and your dedication to your technique <laughs> in rowing that canoe is going to stand you in good stead of staying on course and on track with the direction that you want to go. In spiritual matters, you've got to pay attention to what the Lord is saying. So that you stay on track when the winds of doctrine begin to blow. And it's easy if you just are adrift and you're not paying attention for those winds of doctrine to carry you different places. Now I want to talk about certain specific winds of doctrine that are flowing through today. Just a little bit here and there. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail. Because there's a point to this teaching that I want to get to that has more to do with the overall view than the specific. But let me give you one specific. There is a doctrine that is afoot right now that's what I call, personally call, the doctrine of greasy grace. And what's greasy grace? Well, greasy grace is we don't have to do anything we don't want to do. It's all grace after all. God's done everything. And you know what? There is truth to any error, God has done everything. There's nothing you can do to get yourself born again. That's absolutely true. You are saved by faith through grace, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. That's what Ephesians tells us. Absolutely the truth. Jesus did it all. We don't have to do anything. Absolutely the truth. But if you carry the extreme of God has done it all and we bear zero responsibility for our Christian life, then what you end up hearing and what ends up getting taught are things like, oh, you don't have to go to church if you don't want to. After all, we're free. We're living under grace. You don't have to tithe if you don't want to. After all, we're free. We're living under grace. Now let me ask you this. What did Paul say 
to those that began to preach this greasy grace back in his day. This is not a new doctrine. This comes around. Every weird, fake, crazy doctrine comes around and around and around and around. Well, what did Paul say? He said, don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Oh, we're free, we're free, we're living, oh, we're, we're living in liberty, Dr. Bill. Yeah, but don't use that as an occasion to the flesh. When you don't want to tithe, first of all, you don't have a revelation of tithing, obviously, or you would want to tithe. Tithing is a blessing from God to bless our finances. I'm telling you what, if you tithe properly, the 10% that you give to God that is really his, and you're just returning it to him, the 90% you have left will go supernaturally further than if you had just kept the 100% for yourself. Not only that, the 100% you keep for yourself is now operating under a curse because you don't have the blessing of the tither operating in your life. So it's to your benefit to be a tither. Now, I'm not going to get into a big, long teaching on tithing. That's another one we could take a long time and teach on. Matter of fact, there's some there's some awesome teaching out there on tithing. I tell you what, I have heard some some great, excellent teaching on tithing. I heard Fred Price say something recently that just really blessed me. He was, in a sense, rebuking his church that he was teaching because he was saying, a lot of you out there think you're tithers, but you're not really tithers. You're not fully committed. You only tithe when you feel like things are okay. I, I can afford to tithe. Now, you become a tither by commitment, by decision, and you tithe even if it doesn't feel like you should, you could, or you have the ability to tithe. There's a great example of a lady in our church that Pastor Ed talked to about her financial situation. She was in dire, dire straits financially. And he asked her the direct question. He said, I'm just going to be blunt. Are you a tither? And she kind of said, well, no. He said, do you understand? He didn't get upset and, you know, beat her about the head or anything. He said, listen, do you understand the benefits of tithing? And he began to teach her the benefits of tithing. And it turned her life around. She became a tither, and get this, when she didn't think she could do it. When in the natural, she didn't have enough money to pay her rent and her car payment. She still tithed. And in very short order, very, very short order, it all turned around. What do I mean by that when I say it all turned around? What do I mean by that when I say it all turned around? Well, just like I said, the 90% that she had that was hers after returning the tenth, the first fruits, the tenth to the Lord, now all of a sudden she could pay her rent. Now, all of a sudden, she could pay her car payment. Her ability 
to use that 90% supernaturally just grew to the point that that money covered her expenses. Not only that, she got a promotion at work. Not only that, she then got another job and a promotion. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And now today, she's blessed financially and is a committed, dedicated tither. Now, like I said about Fred Price, he told his church, he said he and his wife have been tithing for years and years and years in so-called feast and so-called famine. They have been tithing and tithing and every dime that comes in, no matter what the source, they've been tithing and they're blessed financially because of it. Tremendous teaching. I can tell you from personal experience, I've been through, quote, feast, <laughs> and I've been through, quote, famine. Well, let me tell you, feast is better. <laughs> Amen. I've been rich, and I've been poor, and rich is better. But here's the thing. Belinda and I have tithed since day one. We've been tithers. And we are blessed financially. God has supernaturally met needs. I have been in a situation. And I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm, quote, proud of it. <laughs> but I lost my job at one point due to a, a situation. And I was out of work for nearly a full year. Totally, completely out of work. We had car payments. We had house payments. We had things that had to be met. And I had zero income. I'm not talking about low income. I'm talking about zero income. But guess what? God supernaturally met those needs, and we stayed, quote, afloat. Now, it was tight, yeah, but we stayed afloat until I got another job and came out of that situation. But during the whole thing, I had provision. Why? Because we were tithers. Now, while we had no income, we couldn't tithe because there wasn't any income, <laughs> But we tithed on what came in when it came in. A little here, a little there. We still tithed every single dime that came in. Because we are tithers. We're not tithers when it's convenient. We're tithers all the time. That's who we are. See, that's commitment. Not just, eh, this is the latest doctrine. And see, I'm getting off track a bit here. One of those rabbit trails. Usually the rabbit trails are there because somebody needed to chase a rabbit. <laughs> somebody needed to hear that. But the bottom line is, you're not tithing just because you heard a good teaching on tithing and, and you're going to do it for a few months. And now, well, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. I, I've heard that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that anymore. See, that's winds of doctrine. Even correct doctrine can be treated like a wind of doctrine if you're just casually listening to it. But good sound doctrine, when you hear it like on tithing, and you take it in, it becomes part of you, and then you listen clearly to what God is saying to you, and praise God, it will turn you around. Well, I'm getting, I'm getting off a little bit here, like I said, on a side journey, but so let's come back to what God is saying to the church today. God speaks to his church and we hear his voice. We're not going to let ourselves get adrift. 
And as I was saying, pastors, you need, as a pastor of a local church, you need to be listening specifically, especially right now. As I said, this is a critical time. Let's look at uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. I'm going to read something to you. We're going to start in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now, who's the thief? We know this from later on in this uh, in this book, in this chapter, where the thief is identified as Satan. If we know that from the from the very beginning here, it'll help us understand it. Verse 2, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd of the sheep is Jesus, ultimately. And the shepherd of the local sheepfold, the under-shepherd, we could call it, is the pastor of a local church. Amen. Verse 3, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. Highlight that in your mind. The sheep hear his voice. When God speaks... As sheep, we hear his voice. And he calleth to his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. What does that tell you? First of all, it tells you that God is speaking to his church, to his sheep. So he is speaking, so we need to be listening. Amen? Not getting distracted by the noise of the world. We need to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Verse 5. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not, or we could put it this way, they don't listen to the voice of strangers. Now, this greasy grace doctrine. The people that are teaching as sound doctrine, greasy grace, they are the strangers. The sheep, the Christian, the believer, needs to not listen to those strangers. As a matter of fact, it says they flee from him. Get out of there! (laughs) Now, there's one prominent minister who has a large church, and he's written several books. The purpose driven this and the purpose driven that. He's a stranger. I'm not calling any names, but you know who I'm talking about. He's been elevated by secular television networks as the next Billy Graham insert famous preacher here. He's been puffed up by those who have an agenda to do so. He's been set in a position as the next great spokesman for Christianity. And he himself has even made statements like, this is this teaching is the next great move of the church, and we're past all of this other teaching and evangelism and all of these things. In other words, he's elevating himself. He's even said things like, Well, you should listen to me. Look at all the number of people I've baptized. 
Dude, I can dunk a lot of people in the water. That doesn't mean that you need to be listening to me, okay? What you need to listen to is whether or not I'm teaching the Word of God accurately and rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And I'm sorry, but you're not rightly dividing the Word of Truth. You are teaching, sir, abundance or overabundance or extreme sovereignty teaching extreme grace teaching that is causing many people to be set adrift and to get off of the accurate word of God. Now you may say, oh, but Dr. Bill, I went to one of those purpose-driven things and oh man, it blessed me. Well, I tell you what, if you will look closely at what that teaching is saying, you will find that it takes away from the message of the word of faith. It says that you can never know what God's going to do. God's just sovereign. He does whatever he wants to do. And all we can do is just say, oh, Lord, whatever will be, will be. You can call it Doris Day doctrine. Whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. <laughs> it's a bunch of junk. The voice of a stranger, they should not be following. Verse 6, This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not the things which he spake unto them. Did you get that? Jesus gave them this information in a parable. But they understood not the things which he spake unto them. He was there in front of them speaking, but they didn't understand it. They weren't listening. They weren't paying attention. That's what I'm trying to get you to see with this teaching. What's God saying to the church today? Pay attention. Listen closely. Okay? Don't follow the voice of the stranger. Don't get pulled off on weird doctrines. I could give you more examples of weird doctrines. Pigs in a parlor is a weird doctrine. Throwing up in barf bags, that's a weird doctrine. Spreading gold dust from your hand as you minister, that's a weird doctrine. Feathers being pulled out of the air, that's a weird doctrine. Has nothing to do with the Bible. Give me one scripture that says that that's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Last I checked, there were nine spiritual gifts, and one of those nine was not gold dust and feathers. <laughs> oh, my. Done gone to meddling now. <laughs> but this is some meddling you need, because you need to not be pulled off by winds of doctrine. And like I said, winds of doctrine... There's nothing new about winds of doctrine. Pigs in the parlor, barf bags, <laughs> nests of demons, all that kind of junk. That has come around, every, seems like every 30 years or so, that book gets rediscovered and people start preaching it again. Doctrines of devils. Now there's a case where it's literally doctrines of devils. It's doctrines about devils as well as being a doctrine of devils. Gets a devil minded, you're no good for God. <laughs> If a, if a demon does show up, just cast him out and move on. Don't make a big production out of it. Because the big production just draws attention to the minister. That's all that's for. 
And it's a matter of pride at that point. No, there's not a bunch of weird, strange doctrines about casting out devils. The fact is, Jesus won the battle. He gave us the authority to cast out devils in his name. And if one shows up, just cast him out and move on. And don't make a big deal about it. I've been in situations where I've had to cast out a devil. And let me tell you, let me just give you one quick example of how that particular incident occurred. I was sitting at home minding my own business. <laughs> and a local pastor called me up and says, Brother Bill, that's before I had my doctorate, <laughs> Brother Bill, could you come help me go visit somebody? And I thought, well, this pastor, he's been a pastor for years. He doesn't need me to go help him visit somebody. So I said, uh, okay, I guess, sure. He didn't tell me what was going on, didn't say what it was about. And right at the end of the phone call, as we're making arrangements to meet, to go see this guy, he said, oh, by the way, he's demon-possessed. he hangs up. I went, what? <laughs> so I get in the car and I'm driving to meet the pastor to go see this particular guy. And I'm driving along, and the Lord says to me very specifically. Now, if you'd have been sitting in the car, you probably wouldn't have heard it. I'm talking about the inner, inward voice. The Lord says to me, who are you? And I said, uh, I, did, I didn't know what he was getting at. So I said, uh, I'm Bill Bailey. I'm a minister of the gospel. He said, who are you? I, and in my spirit, I got a hold of it. I said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He wanted me to state my identity in him. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, then he didn't say anything else. That was it. So I said, okay, I'm driving along. I meet this particular pastor. We go to this guy's house. His wife lets us in the door, and she said, he's in the back, and he's drunk. Well, he went into the house, went back to the bedroom, and this guy was laying on the bed. Whoo! Oh, my. He was out of it. He was so drunk, he was just blind drunk. He didn't know where he was, who he was, what was going on. And so, now let me tell you something about a state of drunkenness of that type if demons are active in somebody's life and they're so drunk that they have lost all control that's the perfect time for a demonic force to assert itself and in a sense take over do you understand what I'm saying so this guy's laying in the bed just drunk and out of it we walk into the bedroom and as soon as we walk into the bedroom he rises up from being laying down to a seated position, points his finger, this long, bony finger, straight at us, and says, Who do you think you are? And I said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Just as bold as I could. And he blinked a couple of times and just fell backwards on the bed. I said, Now come out of him in the name of Jesus and leave him alone. And he just lay there. 
quiet, sleeping, peaceful. I turned to his wife and I said, now listen, when he wakes up, you get him into Pastor So-and-So's church and you get him hearing the word of God. And then we left. Didn't make a big deal. Didn't make a big production number out of it. Didn't sprinkle anything, you know, (laughs) nothing like that. I got word weeks later that he had gotten into church, gotten into the Word of God, and was free from alcohol. Praise God. Good results. Good results. And it wasn't a big production number. And I'll tell you the truth, because of the situation, now I'm not, I am not against fasting. I am not against praying, believe me. But in this particular case, no fasting, no praying, because I was just answering a phone call and then going with this pastor. Didn't have time. Well, now you might say I fasted between the time he called and the time we went, but that was just the same afternoon. <laughs> so we're not talking about a protracted period of fasting and prayer. We're not talking about a whole lot of hoo-ha. Of production number, we're just talking about knowing who you are in Christ Jesus and exercising the authority that you have in the name of Jesus. Period. Alright? I say all that to say this. Don't let these doctrines draw you away from the truths of God's word. Now, in this particular situation, what was the truth that I needed at that time? The truth I needed at that time was who am I in Christ Jesus? Not who am I as a minister of the gospel. Not who am I, what's my natural name in this world. But who am I in Christ Jesus? What authority do I have in the name of Jesus? That teaching, that knowledge, the word of faith which we preach, that is what got results. And that's what we need to be listening to. But you gotta pay attention. I'll tell you something here. <laughs> if you don't pay attention, you're gonna pay one way or the other. Somebody write that down. <laughs> That's, that came from the Lord. <laughs> Amen. If you don't pay attention to the Lord, if you don't pay attention to the correct teaching of the Word of God, you're gonna pay one way or another. <laughs> Amen. Whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, whether it's in lack of results, you're going to pay one way or another. Amen. Alright. If you will hear. See, you have to hear, but it's if you will hear. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice. Now let's just stop right there. Today. When's that? That's right now. That's at this critical juncture. That's as in today, right where you are. If you hear his voice. And that doesn't stop there. There's actually a comma at the end of that phrase. What's the next statement? If you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. What's your heart? Your heart is the real you, your human spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul. 
which is mind, will, and emotions, you live in a physical body. Harden not your hearts. This is Hebrews 3.8. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of the temptation in the wilderness. Now we're going to come back to that in a minute, that provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Think about that. These folks saw God work supernaturally, splitting the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water from the rock, all kinds of powerful miracles for 40 years. And yet, their hearts were hardened. They, wasn't, they weren't listening. Folks, we got to pay attention. Verse 10 of Hebrews 3. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and have not known my ways. Now again, bold this, underline this, whatever it takes to get it. Do not err in your heart and know the ways of God. I was putting it on the positive side. It's stated here in Hebrews 3.10 from the negative perspective. God says, I was grieved with that generation, and I said, they do always err in their heart and have not known my ways. Well, what we need to do then for God to be pleased with our generation is to not err in our heart and to know his ways. See how we're turning that around? Now, what do I mean by that? We need to know the ways of the Lord. We need to understand what it is God is about and what he wants to do. God's not fooling around, folks. These are critical moments in history right now. I don't know if you noticed, but there's stuff going on. There are things happening in the spiritual realm that I'm sure, at least I trust, you are aware of. If not, maybe your heart has already been hardened and you're not listening. But if you're at least listening in the least, you know something is going on in the spiritual realm. The manifestation of that is financial trouble throughout the world. Going away from the things pertaining to the history of this country and a constitutional government towards socialism and communism. All of this stuff is just symptomatic of what's happening in the spiritual realm. We need to address the spiritual issues and all the political and financial issues will take care of themselves. There's nothing directly, personally, that I can do other than vote. Now, yeah, you got to do that. But in the political realm and the financial realm, as far as the whole country is concerned, there's not a lot I can do personally. Other than vote. I've got to do that. I've got to participate in it. Because my participation in it gives me right to deal with it spiritually. But what I can do is I can deal with it spiritually. Remember what God said? He said, if my people, not the people who are not God's people, you can't expect people that are not God's people to do the right thing before the Lord. If you're looking at a politician that is not born again, and he's out there doing something stupid in the eyes of God, you can't say, I don't understand why he's doing something stupid in the eyes of God. He's just doing what sinners do. They sin. 
Okay? But as a believer, you ought to do what believers do. Believe. Did you get that? If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven, and I, God says, will heal their land. If you want to have a positive effect on your nation, you need to be believing God. You need to be praying to the Lord. You need to be humbling yourself before the Lord. Let me tell you what humbling yourself before the Lord is. A lot of people get the idea that they're down on the ground just groveling in the dust. That that's humbling themselves before the Lord. No, that's just, again, making a show. No, humbling yourself means, Lord, what you say, not what I say. What you say, not what I want. That's humbling yourself before the Lord. Well, I always vote for the X party, no matter what. Well, that's what you want. What does God want? Amen. We ought to be looking at things as to what God wants. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord. Amen. And he'll exalt you in due time. See, that's a great thing. If you humble yourself before the Lord and do what he wants you to do, he can then trust you. And guess what? He, at the right time, will exalt you. Notice it says he will exalt you in due time. The due time is the time when it's right for you to be exalted, which is when he knows he can trust you to do what he wants. <laughs> Amen. Man, there's a lot of good jumping off places here to get into some good teaching, but we're just going to keep on moving in the direction that we need to here. They do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. Verse 11 of Hebrews 3 says, So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter in to my rest. Notice that the the place that God wants us is a place of entering into his rest. That's where he wants us, and we're going to come back to that. Hebrews 3.12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you, Christians, churchgoers, word of faith believers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief will get you to a point that you are departing from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today. See, we're back to that today. This is a critical time. Today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now this word hardened, where it talks about hardness of heart, this word hardened in the Greek is skaleruno. That's a good Greek word, isn't it? It means to endurate. That's the definition, to endurate. I'm going to come right back to that. That is, Strong says, to render stubborn. (laughs) <laughs> now, when I saw that the definition was indirect, I had to, I put on my best country boy expression. Huh? <laughs> what do you mean? What does indirect mean? You know, indirect is not a word that I use commonly. Now, yeah, I've got a Ph.D. and all of that, and I've got a lot of education, but indirect is just not one of those words that I use commonly, okay? <laughs> so I had to go look it up, and here's what it means. Indirect. 
I-N-D-U-R-A-T-E. To make hard or to harden. Well, that makes sense. We're talking about hardness of heart. Now listen, here's the example. Soil that has been indurated by extremes of client. That's the, the example they used to describe this word indurate. Think about soil. Good, rich soil that you plant a seed into has all the right nutrients. It's soft. It's wet. And not too wet, but just just right. Just that good soil. And you plant a seed in that kind of soil, and it'll grow, and it'll grow fast. But at the same time, have you ever been out to where soil has been dried out, packed down, hard as a rock? You take a tip of a shovel and try to break the ground, and it just is like concrete. It's been hardened. It's indurated by the extremes of climate. You see where I'm getting at here? What's the seed? You remember the sower sows the word? Mark chapter 4. The seed is the word of God. Amen? What's the ground? The ground is your human spirit. If you haven't heard the teaching on the sower sows the word, you need to go back to Mark 4 and you need to listen to that teaching. And get some good, Brother Copeland's got a great teaching on the sower sows the word. Praise God. But in that teaching, the seed is the word of God. The soil is the human heart where the seed is planted. And that example, when it talks about hardness of heart here, is exactly what we're talking about. Your heart, which is the real you, becomes hardened to the word of God, to the things of God, and your ears become dull of hearing because of this hardness of heart. Remember, you are a spirit. Your heart, the human spirit, is the real you. And when that real you is not soft and tender to the things of God and becomes hardened to the things of God, that's when this happens. Now, you remember one of the things in the sower sows the word that hardened the heart? The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. And you know what the deceitfulness of riches is? Let me give you a good definition for the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness of riches is that all it takes is money to solve your problem. That's deception. That's not true. There are things in life that money will not solve. Now you may say, well, if I've got enough money, I can do anything I want. No. No, that's not true. That's a deception of finances. And the world right now is caught up in a deception concerning finance. Do you know there are people in, in power today? that literally believe that the way to get out of a financial situation is to throw money at it. Now, let me get this straight. You don't have enough money. You're in debt. So you need to go spend more money. What? (laughs) You have been deceived 
by riches. You think money is the answer to everything. It's not. you got to get to the core root problem, and that's a spiritual problem. Okay. Amen. Some of you are getting it. There's some wheels beginning to turn. I can hear the rust breaking loose. <laughs> Amen. All right. Definition of deceitfulness. Let me give you this one. This is another Greek word. Apate in the Greek means delusion. Sin will delude you. False doctrine, like greasy grace doctrine, will delude you, and it will lead to sin. You remember what Paul said about not using your liberty for an occasion to the flesh? Why will extreme greasy grace teaching lead you to an occasion of the flesh? Because you get to the point that you think, I don't have to do X, Y, or Z. I can do anything I want. And as soon as you do that, you open the door for your flesh. Amen. Now, let's go directly to the scripture, Romans chapter 6. Let's read what Paul had to say about this. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What did he say? Did he say, oh yeah, brethren, just continue in sin. Just have fun. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to give. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do anything. You just do what you want to do. There's no requirements on you. You just sin that grace may abound. Is that what he said? No. He said, God forbid. Did you get that? God forbid. He's saying, this is not what I'm teaching. I am not teaching greasy grace doctrine. I'm not saying, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. Then he goes on to say, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You shouldn't be looking for ways to sin. You shouldn't be looking for ways to stay away from church. You shouldn't be looking for ways to do the opposite of what the Word of God has to say and, quote, unquote, enjoy your life. I'm hearing people say this. Well, I'm just going to enjoy my life because I'm under grace. God forbid. There's nothing wrong with you enjoying life in God. There's nothing wrong with you enjoying life in the Word and in the Holy Ghost. But if your definition of enjoying life is just kicking back and going on the golf course and forgetting the things of God, then God forbid. Amen. Somebody saying, oh, me, instead of amen, but it's the truth. Hebrews 3.14 For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Now, I said I'd come back to that word provocation. What is provocation? Provocation here in the Greek is parapikrasmos. <laughs> Whoa, another one of those good Greek words. It means irritation. I'm just going to give you a little Selah time here. <laughs> Irritation. I bet you didn't know that provocation here in the King James, the word translated provocation, meant irritation. What do you think about when you think of irritation? 
I think about a rash that you have to scratch. It just bugs you and itches. just irritates you. You know, that's just something comes to mind. But what does it mean here by irritation? They were in the day of irritation. What does that mean? People get irritated when they hear things they don't want to hear in the flesh. Did you catch that? People sitting out there in church, holding down the pew, and they hear the preacher say, you need to do what the Word of God has to say. And they get irritated. And there's that preacher talking about my money again, talking about how I ought to come to church more often, and they get irritated. You know what that is? That's the day of provocation. The day of irritation. Ah, oh, some of you, some of you definitely going over me at this point. Well, hang in there. Let's see what the Word of God has to say. This irritation with hearing the truths of God's Word is why this whole greasy grace doctrine has become so popular and is so insidious because preachers are people too. Let me just put it this way. Preachers like to be liked. Pastors like to be liked. And if they get up there and start saying something, you start shifting in the pew and, and looking up at them like, oh man, they start getting nervous too. I don't want my people not to like me. So what do they do? They start watering it down. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna soft pedal this. Okay, Lord, I'll, I'll teach this scripture, but just, just let me, <laughs> let me, uh, let me think of a better way to say it. And that leads down a road toward greasy grace. Toward just saying what they want to hear. To where they become people having itching ears, trying to find teaching that will soothe them and salve their conscience. And they don't want to be irritated. And then preachers accommodate that and start slacking off and the church gets set adrift and gets blown around by winds of doctrine. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, pastors, you need to get a hold of the word. You need to listen to what God is saying to the churches today. And you need to get a hold of this and bring that drifting boat back into control. Hebrews 13, 16. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all they that came out of Egypt by Moses. Provoke here in the Greek is parapikraino, to embitter alongside, that is figuratively to exasperate. To exasperate. That's the definition. You ever been exasperated? <laughs> Somebody's exasperated. You can hear them sputtering. <laughs> They're exasperated. Well, what does that mean? The definition of exasperate is to make very angry or impatient, and get this, to annoy greatly. That's the definition. Now, I want you to think about something here. Are you annoyed with what God is saying today? Woohoo! <laughs> Are you annoyed at God? You might say, who, me? I'd never be annoyed with God. Oh, really? 
You ever been out there in the pew fidgeting in your seat, getting irritated, getting annoyed? Why is that preacher saying this? You know what? When you feel that, you ought to know your flesh is under pressure. And you need to get that flesh under control. And you need to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. Amen? Are you getting this? Hebrews 3.17 But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? Remember, that's the goal, is to enter into rest. But to them that believed not. Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter into the rest, which was the goal, because of unbelief. Unbelief. The word unbelief here in the Greek is apistia, which means faithlessness. Now, let's take this word. I don't usually do this, but let's take this word in the Greek and let's look at the way this word is constructed. You often hear me just quote a, you know, this is the Greek word apistia, and you go, okay. <laughs> and you move on. Yeah, yeah, okay, Dr. Bill. There you go again. No, no, hold on. Let's look at how this word's constructed. The word for faith in the Greek is pistis. It's transliterated. Now, transliteration means to take the English spelling of the way the word is pronounced and to spell it out. Now, the Greek word obviously is not written P-I-S-T-I-S because it's written with Greek letters. There's no P-I-S. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's written in Greek letters. Greek is a completely separate language and it has completely separate letters, symbols to represent it. But if we take it over and pull it over into a transliteration of the way the word is pronounced and spell it out in English letters, <laughs> okay, yeah, I know Latin letters, don't get technical with me, <laughs> all right, it's P-I-S-T-I-S, okay, that's what I want to get to, pistis. Now the letter A negates pistis, so a, a, or a, pistia, is negated faith. That's what I wanted you to see. By taking the word apart here. Negated faith. The word of faith teaching is teaching how to use your faith. How to apply your faith. How to effectively operate in faith. Do you want that faith negated? Rendered powerless? Rendered inactive? No. Of course not. You don't want negated faith. But they, these folks that were provoked, that were irritated, that were annoyed with what they were hearing from God, could not enter into the rest that he provided for them because of their negated faith. Their annoyance, their irritation, 
with hearing the word of God taught correctly, that's what negated their faith. And that's what made it where they could not enter in to the rest of God. Hebrews 4.1 then says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, that's the goal, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now the word fear here is interesting. Because very often you'll hear me say, and you'll hear Brother Copeland say, and you'll hear other teachers say. Now, fear here doesn't mean fear like being afraid. It means respect. And that's usually the case. When it talks about fear of God, it's talking about having respect and an awesome respectfulness for God. It's not talking about fear as in quaking and, oh, no, God, don't hurt me. Not that kind of fear. We're talking about respect there. But this word, let us therefore fear, that's not talking about respect. Shocking, I know to some of you. What does it actually mean? It's the Greek word phobeo. Does that sound familiar? It's the word we get the word phobia from. You ever heard somebody talk about phobias? I got a fear of heights. That's a phobia. That's what this word is. Phobeo in the Greek. Now the the actual pronunciation has an F O B E H O sound. Phobeo. Okay? It's a phobia. It means to be frightened. It means to be passively alarmed. By analogy, it can also mean to be in awe, but it's talking about phobia. It's talking about a fear here. So let's go back and read it that way. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us. If you're going to operate in any fear, (laughs) it needs to be a fear of being in the state of negated faith. Now, obviously, you shouldn't operate in fear. You should operate in faith. They're reciprocals. You need to operate in faith. What I'm saying is, and what the writer of Hebrews, which I'm not going to get into a long theological thing, but I believe Paul was the writer of Hebrews. If you you believe it was somebody else, fine. But the point is, whoever penned Hebrews, it was God's word. Amen? That's right. So Hebrews 4.1 Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us entering into his rest, you should seem to come short of it. If you're going to be afraid of anything, it ought to be not being in the word of God. Not being in the rest of God. Not being in a position of listening to God as clearly and concisely as you should. Now, yes, you should be operating in faith, not in fear. I'm not taking anything away from that. What I'm saying is, we need to get the word fear in the right place with regard to this, that you need to be scared. I'm going to use the, that's what I'll do. I'll use the country boy version. We need to be a scared 
of being outside the Word of God. <laughs> Amen. Did you get that? I like that. That's a good way to put it. A scared of not doing what God wants us to do because the results are not what you want. Staying outside of the Word of God, not hearing the Word of God, staying, getting into this area of being irritated when you hear the Word, you need to be a scared of that. Amen. All right, some of you got it. Hebrews 4.2 For unto us was the gospel preached. What's the gospel? The good news. Always substitute good news. For unto us was the good news preached as well as unto them. But the word preached. What's the gospel? The word preached. What's the gospel? The word preached. Did you get that? The word preached is the gospel. The word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. They were in a state of negated faith. Hebrews 4.3 For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. The rest he's talking about here is just like the rest he took after creating the world. What do we call that? The Sabbath day rest. It's a covenant period of rest. It's a covenant period of recuperation. It's a covenant period of trusting entirely on what God has already done and just enjoying the fruit of his labor. Oh, my brethren, if you could just get a hold of that, if you could just get a hold of that. This rest we've been talking about is that God has done all the work. Yes, indeed, he has. But now we rest in the covenant results of the blessing, capital T, capital B, the blessing that God has now put us in. And now we are living in a Sabbath time. That's where we ought to be. Now we should be a scared of not living in that period of rest and covenant time that God has for us. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, into my period of covenant time of rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. See, he's already done all the work. Verse 4, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day, that day of rest, that day of Sabbath, when God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Verse 6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of their unbelief, because of their negated faith. Again he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, when is this critical juncture? Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if, here's the condition, if you will hear his voice, and if you will harden not your hearts, 
Brethren, this is what God is trying to get across to the church today. This is what he's saying today, 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 in this critical time. you got to hear his voice, and you got to harden not your heart. You've got to hear his voice, and you've got to harden not your heart through unbelief or negated faith. Verse 8, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now here it is. We've been talking about this rest that we're entering into. Rest here is the Greek word sabbatismos, from which we get the word Sabbath. That special, special covenant day of rest that is set aside. Verse 10 of Hebrews 4. For he that has entered into his rest, his sabbatismos, he has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Now here it is in verse 11. This is what I've been wanting to get to. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Now that sounds contradictory. But that's why I want to take just a moment of time here. I know we've been teaching this a long time, but I want you to stick with me here. This is, this is what we've been building to. You've got to lay foundation to get to this point. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The word rest here is cat-ap-ousis, meaning reposing down. Now get this, this is the, what the Strong says. That is by Hebraism abode. In other words, it's a Hebraic thought. Something that the Hebrews would understand. Reposing down or abode. A place of rest. A home. See, your home. A lot of people talk about a man's home is his castle. It's his place of rest. It's where he goes to take his suit off and sit down in his easy chair and just take it easy. It's a place of rest, of comfort. Now, how do you labor to enter into rest? Like I said, that sounds contradictory. The word labor here is the Greek word spudadzo. It means to use speed to make an effort to be prompt or to be earnest. I want you to get that feeling. Speed, effort, promptness, earnestness. All of that is what we have to do to enter into this rest. We have to be quick. We have to use effort. We have to be prompt, prompt to do the word of God. When God speaks to us, be prompt to do it. Be earnest in your doing of God's word. All of that is how we labor to enter into this Sabbath period of rest that God wants us to have. Now, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick. Oh, hallelujah. I love this scripture. It is quick. It means it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even and dividing asunder of soul and spirit, or the difference between, the Greek here says, dividing the difference between the soul and the spirit and the joints and the mara, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
verse 13, Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, brethren, what do we need to do? Let us hold fast our profession. This is not the time to move away from the word of faith. This is not the time to drop your confession of the word of God. This is how we labor to enter into the rest. We hold fast our profession, our confession of the word of God. Verse 15, For we've not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows how we feel. He knows. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what are we saying? What's God saying to the churches? Don't get irritated by what God is saying to the church today. Don't let your faith get negated. We need to hold fast to our faith, and we need to hold fast to our confession of faith, and we need to hold fast to the word of faith message. Forget this greasy grace doctrine. Forget all the doctrines of devils that are coming up. Hold fast to the word of faith. That's what God is saying to the churches. And if you'll do that, and you'll listen, you'll pay attention, then you will enter into the Sabaoth rest, the covenant period of rest that God has for us. Amen? Amen. I trust that you receive from the ministry of the Word of God today. If you'd like to contact me, you may write me at Dr. Bill Bailey, Word of Faith Ministries, P.O. Box 5213-5213, High Point, North Carolina, 27262. Or you may email me at this address, Dr. Bill, D-R-B-I-L-L, at W-O-F-M dot O-R-G. If God speaks to your heart about supporting our ministry financially, or you would like to receive more teaching messages from the Word of God, check out our website at www.wofm.org. I believe and agree with you for the full 100-fold return on your giving. I also believe and know that God is richly blessing you and your family every day in every way. Praise God, you are blessed and highly favored.